We are back at it again here on AT3 Fantasy Cast, staying up north, this time in the AFC with the Browns, Steelers, Bengals, and Ravens. And TJ, I know this one could be a league favorite episode as we've got a lot of fans within our league that like AFC North teams. Uh, yeah, that's, that's true we do. I know Josh Akers, big Bengals fan. AJ kind of grew up in that area. He's He's not a Bengals fan, but he was kind of growing up. You got John King, who's one of uh, only a couple true Ravens fans uh, through and through, so I'm sure he's excited to hear this. And, uh, of course, Adam Brooker, the lone Browns fan in the group. So, a lot of fans of the the ASC North uh, in our small fantasy football group. So, hopefully they'll enjoy hearing what we have to say about their teams. Definitely a lot of loyalty up north for sure. And before, as we've been doing so far in all of these episodes, we're going to give you some news from around the NFL before we break down the fantasy relevancy of the AFC North. So it's hard not to laugh while I say this one, TJ, so bear with me if you will. The Oakland Raiders have released a statement on Antonio Brown. If you recall, in our last podcast, we mentioned that he was out due to an undisclosed injury. We now know the reason. So, Brown has been out of training camp drills due to what is being referred to as extreme frostbite on his feet due to improper procedures during cryotherapy. There's no timetable as to his return, and this is something from a fantasy standpoint that you're going to want to monitor. It's a guy that's going in the second round right now, which, of course, with this news, I'm sure his stock will start to plummet. But again, it's something you'll definitely want to keep an eye out for. Yeah, the the guy's a jagaloon. I mean, you as AJ was talking about earlier, you know, hey, maybe this was his evil plan to take the money and run, but I don't know. He he he's over the top. You know, if he would focus on football, uh you wouldn't have to worry about silly things like this um and and him being such a letdown to that that Raiders fan base where they've been so hopeful with all of the big changes, you know, they bring him in and I'm sure they were all excited to have him and and he goes and does something so ridiculous as that. Right. And I I think this brings a whole new meaning to the term putting somebody on skates. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, moving on, the Arizona Cardinals are attempting to add veteran whiteout Michael Crabtree to their roster could be a possible weapon there for rookie QB Murray to utilize in what new head coach Cliff Clinsbury promises to be an exciting offense to watch. Crabtree disagreed with the base $2.5 million offer. It was complete with an additional $2 million in incentives, so we'll be keeping an eye on that story. What kind of, if any, fantasy relevancy do you think Michael Crabtree could have, TJ? Uh, you know what, Blanket? First, let's let's go to the to the... The deal. Let, let, let's re- refer back to to the two point two million dollars on hand. Um, I'm no genius, but two point two million dollars to play one season of football is better than zero point zero million dollars sitting at home watching football. I don't. I don't know what he's holding out for. I think Michael Crabtree is past his prom. I think. He should take the money and run. Can he be a help there? I don't know. I I love Larry Fitzgerald, but Larry Fitzgerald's on the, the, the backside of his career. They do have a new, exciting rookie quarterback. I just don't know that 
Michael Crabtree is going to add any more explosiveness, if you will, to that offense. But either way, he's walking away from $2.2 million. I cannot see another team offering him more money than that to come play football. I, I just don't I don't think he's a receiver that's worth that money. I'd have to agree, and I think it's doubtful that he'll get a, a better deal anywhere else. I mean, of course, this is a guy that's had moments for sure, and at times has been fantasy relevant, but I think reasonably would be somebody you would just put on a watch list if they end up adding him. But yeah, I don't think he'll do better anywhere else, especially with that $2 million incentive base also. And to round out our NFL news, the guy that we mentioned in our previous podcast going over the NFC North, Jimmy Graham reportedly believes everyone thinks he's, quote, old and slow. The longtime NFL tight end says he has something to prove this season, and he thinks that he'll have more opportunity in a Matt LaFleur-led offense. Now, of course, Madge, as you've mentioned time and again, tight end doesn't exactly work out in Green Bay. So what are your thoughts on Jimmy Graham here? I'm just going to kind of reiterate what what I had said before in the previous cast. I think Jimmy Graham's an excellent tight end. I think he's still got a little bit of gas in the tank. We'll just have to see how the new offensive scheme uses him because the past under Coach McCarty, there was really no good use for a tight end other than check down, oh, he's open, let's throw him the ball. I think Jimmy Graham uh, still – Still has something to offer at the tight end position. It's just whether we get him involved or not will all be dependent upon the offensive scheme. So, you know, hey, I hope he does prove all of those haters wrong, as a Packers fan, of course. Understandably so, and definitely something that you'll want to monitor. I mean, again, this is a guy that you're going to take either a late, late, late last-round flyer on or put on your watch list for fantasy purposes, but remains to be seen if he still has something to prove. So, Madge, let's get this AFC North party started, and we're going to actually start somewhere that might surprise some people, but when you listen to all of the different fantasy options that you have available, the Cleveland Browns, in my opinion, have the most fantasy relevancy going into this season, and we're about to explain to you why. So a guy I'd like to start with is Nick Chubb, the Browns' 2018 second-round draft pick out of Georgia. He turned in a nice rookie season last year, totaling over 1,100 yards, 10 total trips to the end zone. So what can we expect out of a guy like Nick Chubb, somebody that's coming there in the late first round, early second? I'll tell you what, Blanket, uh, I think there's a lot of upside to Nick Chubb. I think there's a, a lot of things to be excited for in Cleveland, and I think Nick Chubb is, is one of those things to be excited for. He showed a ton of promise last season. Just under a thousand rushing yards. Um, he's he's got he's got the potential to do it, and I think he's going to be their go-to guy at the start of the season. And yeah, they did pick up Kareem Hunt, but Kareem Hunt, of course, isn't going to be available for the entire first half of the season, which means they're going to establish with Nick Chubb. And unless Nick Chubb just completely drops the ball, no pun intended, <laughs> I think they run with him all season. And yeah, they'll they'll give Kareem some work. But if Nick Chubb keeps up the production as he did last season, I don't see anything edging him off of that RB1 spot in Cleveland. And he just to be straight and clear with everyone listening, he is for sure a bona fide RB1 option there in Cleveland. Yes, like you said, they added Kareem Hunt in the offseason, but of course, as we all know, 
he's out for the first half of the season serving a well-deserved suspension. And so I think that the Browns are absolutely going to lean on Chubb early and often. And as long as he's not too tired by the end of the season, I think this is a guy that can go the full 16. And of course, he'll get some rest here and there. But yeah, just nothing but opportunity here for Chubb to, to blow up. And also, he gives you a lot of fun to play with with your fantasy team name. <laughs> absolutely. That's that's another valid point. <laughs> But, you know, the guy the guy brought in 10 total touchdowns, of course, eight on the ground, two receiving last season. I think that production just increases this coming year with, with the newly established offense, the chemistry that he's undoubtedly been building with Baker Mayfield. I, I think there's nothing but upside to this guy. You know, I would not mind to have him on my fantasy team at all. No, not at all. And this is a guy that can arguably finish – within the top 10 in his position and dare I say it may even be a top five guy at least you know they're at the very end or beginning of the the 10 top positions for RB and you said you know we've got a a newly tuned offense for Cleveland so let's go ahead and talk about your your favorite player TJ OBJ Odell Beckham Jr. You know Blanket I I would not draft OBJ uh, personally, and say it's personal vendetta, say what you will. My team is consistency, and one thing that OBJ does not give you is consistency. Even if he gave you consistency by being on the field, he would screw it up by doing something to get suspended or something. I, I just feel like his personality doesn't mesh well with any team. And let, let, let's go to the numbers. You know, you're you're a big numbers guy. Sure. He didn't even finish in the top 15 in fantasy wide receivers last season based on fantasy uh, standard scoring. Uh, and he was, you know, other receivers that were right on par with him include people like Tyler Boyd, Calvin Ridley, Amari Cooper, Jarvis Landry. And these are guys that were at best, at best, WR2 options. So, for me, Odell Beckham's nothing impressive. And I think that's that's a fair point to make. You know, this is somebody that's definitely had some attitude issues, whether it's on the sidelines, of course, off-season, or during the regular season, away from the field. So, something to always monitor with OBJ is his mental state, so to speak. Um, to counteract some of those points, just in case you are considering drafting OBJ, again, as we talked in our previous podcast with the Tyreek Hill. Now, granted, for fantasy purposes this year, I feel like Hill and OBJ are apples to oranges. I imagine that Hill will far exceed the numbers that OBJ puts up. OBJ, I think, can still be a top 10 wide receiver this year in that Browns offense, especially if he and Baker Mayfield click early and often. Uh, So, of course, when he very first broke out in the lead was 2014. And so since then, he has been wide receiver five, wide receiver 5 in 2015, wide receiver 4 in 2016, missed the majority of 2017 due to injury, but to TJ's point, uh, has been inconsistent of late and did finish just outside of that top 15 for wide receiver in 2018. So uh, a very volatile player to Madge's point that he made in our last podcast that could put up anywhere between 5 points and 20 points. So if you're willing to take that swing play, from week to week. He's certainly a guy that will be there in the late second round. Um, I would look for him more as a value pick and say the third round if everybody passes on him due to that inconsistency. But I know someone 
is probably going to pick him in our draft too early, just to be honest. And, you know, Blanket, I could honestly see if things don't start going his way in Cleveland, um, him just becoming a complete toxin to the entire team. And if that happens, I think he's a hindrance to that team's growth um, more than, than a support to it. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't like him on any team. If I, I just think about, you know, my favorite team, the Packers. I wouldn't be excited if they picked him up because I know he would cause unwanted problems in the locker room that kills team chemistry. So I, I don't think he's anything to be excited for in Cleveland. I think there's a lot of things to be excited for in Cleveland. I don't think he's part of that. I, I will say just one last point about OBJ. I think we could possibly see a, a change in his attitude because he is now going to be playing with former LSU teammate Jarvis Landry. So, you know, maybe there's some kind of bromance there with the Browns. Uh, so it remains to be seen, but definitely a player that if you draft him, just understand the the risk that you might be taking. Uh, now, somebody that's very exciting to talk about Nets that I'm looking forward to discussing is Baker Mayfield, Cleveland Browns' first-round pick in last year's draft. He showed some glimpses of possibly being the guy for the Browns. And as you and I and Bertrand can attest to, and as we all know, quarterback has been quite the conundrum in Cleveland way back to the Tim Couch days. Uh, but what can we expect out of Baker Mayfield in terms of fantasy? Do you think he takes that next step and could be a, a top five fantasy QB this year? I think it's a very good possibility, Blanket. Um, I think Baker Mayfield stepped in. Of course, you know, I think it was, what, week three last season? Probably, you know, at, a lot of people said, you know, oh, no, you know, Tyrod Taylor's their guy. You know, he's going to sit... I I was one of those naysayers that said, no, I, I bet he starts before halfway through the season. You know, they didn't draft him not to start him. Cleveland's notorious for throwing in rookie quarterbacks and letting them catch bad breaks. But against all odds, Baker Mayfield, um, he showed up to play football. And he, uh, he, came, out, he came out smelling nice. So I think that... Things can only go up for him. You know, they've they've padded his team a little bit. They've got him some receivers to throw the ball to. Nick Chubb in the backfield. They've added Kareem Hunt. Um, and, I, and I know we, Kareem Hunt's not going to be there till week eight, but, you know, if you look at Kareem Hunt's stats from last season, he had seven rushing touchdowns as well as seven receiving touchdowns. If they can get, you know, get through to week eight and can put him back in the the backfield, you know, shoot, he'll he'll catch some passes for Baker as well. So I, I think Baker's threshold, um, he, he breaks through it, and I think he improves to at least a top 10 quarterback this year for sure. And and I think it's in the realm of possibility to see him in that top five um, in the fantasy world. All great points, and I really do believe in Baker Mayfield this season for a number of reasons. So he had a second-half swagger last season that led him to breaking a rookie record for most passing touchdowns with 27. In that second half, down the stretch, those last eight games, he had 19 second-half passing TDs, averaged about 280 yards a game with two touchdowns. So this is a guy that you can grab, say, in rounds 
six to seven, possibly maybe even reach for him in the fifth round, I would be okay with that. I know we've told you repeatedly to fade at the QB position, and you very well can. But again, Baker Mayfield is a guy I think you can get reasonably after you sure up some of those RB and wide receiver spots, and he can lead you to a, a number of wins this fantasy season. You know, and like like you were saying, Blanket, you know, I just reviewing, you know, the top ten quarterbacks in fantasy last year, I think there is a couple that were questionable right on the 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 brink that I don't think can keep that up in the next season, or some of them will questionably uh have to work a little harder next season to to make that kind of production, whereas I think Baker Mayfield's got the help that he needs to to move right on up those charts. I think uh, he he would be a quarterback that uh, you would be comfortable with throwing in your lineup and and guaranteeing yourself, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of 20 to 30 points every week. And TJ, you mentioned, we've of course both mentioned Kareem Hunt throughout this podcast, and I would like to take a moment to speak on him for for just a, a second or two because he's somebody that you can definitely consider in drafts around that eighth to ninth round you you may want to reach for him in the seventh and you're welcome to do so just to give you an idea of what kareem hunt can bring to the table he broke out in a big way in 2017 as we all know averaging 15 fantasy points a game that year 242 was his total which landed him as an rb3 in fantasy behind only todd Gurley and levy and bell and he actually finished ahead of Alvin Kamara. Now, of course, you know, we all know his story in 2018, but TJ, to your point, this is a guy that has a lot of potential. And frankly, I think that towards the second half of the season, the Browns could be in a great situation having that combo of Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. I mean, that could be scary coming out of the backfield. Well, let, let me just tell you, Blanket, last season, um, I had one hell of a draft. I came out of the draft with Travis Kelsey as my tight end. Tyreek Hill as my WR1, and Kareem Hunt as my RB1. I was on cloud nine, and all three of those guys were top finishers uh, in their respective positions, and right right there at the playoff threshold, uh, all the the news broke on Kareem Hunt, and and I lost my RB1 right there, and and that hurt me in the playoffs. It did, I, I think. Uh, had that not have happened and I had Kareem Hunt, you know, maybe maybe I've got my second ring, but um he he he's definitely a, a weapon and I think that he went to a team that will utilize him. Granted, he gets all of his off the field stuff taken care of. And having a two headed monster back there with uh Nick Chubb, I, it's crazy. It's because Nick Nick Chubb is a, a three down back for sure, but you add Kareem Hunt too, and you've got a passing back. You've got an unstoppable backfield. Arguably one of the the best in football towards that second half of the season. You know that's just a, another benefit for the Browns. Really, you'll have somebody in Hunt that should have no reason not to be fresh and, and ready to rock and roll. And of course, he spent his college days in Toledo, so I'm sure there's a part of him that's glad to be back in Ohio as well. And that'll lead us into the rounding out portion of our Cleveland Browns discussion with none other than David Njoku, an upside guy, a sleeper pick potentially at the tight end. And I think he fits the definition 
of a sleeper tight end. This is a guy that finished last season just inside the top 10 at the position, had over 600 yards receiving with four scores. Unfortunately for Njoku, the only thing that I would really knock on him is that he just may not have the opportunity when Baker Mayfield can throw to OBJ, Landry out of the slot, someone we haven't talked about yet, and we will in just a moment, uh, or Chubber Hunt out of the backfield. So I just feel like he might be forgotten in this offense, unfortunately. Yeah, Blanket, um, you know, I, again, not not to knock the kid. He, he's young, but I think there is a lot of firepower there, and I think a lot of people had high hopes for him last year. Uh, and, and it just wasn't there. He he was a typical streaming tight end. Yeah, he finished in the top ten, but once you get out of the top five in tight ends, it's it's really a toss-up anyway. Um, and, you know, looking looking at the, the spread of his fantasy points from week to week, you know, there were a couple weeks he did score over 10 points, uh, which were, of course, weeks he had a touchdown. But without those touchdowns, he was where he consistently stayed in the five points or less. So, you know, again, based on last season's numbers, he's still just a guy that you would maybe – take a late-round flyer on, but otherwise, based on those numbers, he's just a good streaming tight end, in my opinion. Hopefully, he he proves me wrong in this next season and maybe steps into that, that top tier. But just based on, based on what I've seen last year and based on all the weapons in Cleveland this year, I don't know if his numbers change that much. They very well may not, and that's a great point in that he certainly is, a, as most tight ends are after that top five, even top eight, a touchdown-dependent tight end for sure. And somebody else that I think will probably be reasonably touchdown-dependent is Jarvis Landry. Now, here's somebody that certainly has all the tools that you look for in a receiver. He's had a successful NFL career both in Miami and at times in Cleveland, but I don't know if he's necessarily somebody that you would need to reach for in drafts. This is a flex player with wide receiver two upside if anything happens to OBJ or if he gets more work out of the slot there underneath in Cleveland from Mayfield. It's someone that I would be comfortable taking, say, in the sixth to seventh round range, preferably more so I'd, I'd like him to fall to me in the eighth. I don't know if I'd want to spend my first six or seven, you know, after those first five picks are made, I don't know if I'm comfortable picking Jarvis Landry in round six or seven just yet. Now, you know, you're a numbers guy blanket, and uh, I I just want to throw some numbers at you, and it it further shows my dislike in Odell Beckham. When when we're comparing their last season's stats, you know, Jarvis Landry was clearly nowhere near the hop guy that OBJ was, yet he finished the season – with only one less touchdown than OBJ and less than 100 yards, or OBJ finished with less than 100 yards more than Jarvis did. Again, you know, Jarvis Landry, to anybody, if you used him, was a clear WR2, um, which I, I'm just saying furthers my point that Odell Beckham's numbers don't put him in that top tier for me. And that's fair. And so that... We'll round things out for our Cleveland Browns discussion. As you can see now, I think it's the argument can be made that they are the most fantasy-relevant team in this AFC North. The second most, no surprise to anybody, is the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I have to lead off with running back again here. It's hard not to with a guy like James Conner. I mean, here's a guy that's beaten cancer. He broke out in a tremendous way last season. 
He helped a number of owners make it to the playoffs and win championships, myself included. I had my first ever lead crown and a two-quarterback lead that won't be going any longer, but still, you know, he's just a all-around feel-good story. And Connor is just one of those that took full advantage of the Levian Bell holdout as we thought he would. In 2018 alone, rushed for nearly 1,000 yards, just missed the 500-yard mark for receiving, 13 total touchdowns, 12 of those on the ground, and he likely would have eclipsed both 1,000 yards rushing and 500 yards receiving had he not missed those last three games in the season due to a foot injury. So, I mean, do you think, TJ, in your opinion, James Conner has a chance to improve upon those numbers from 2018 because he had a heck of a year? Absolutely, Blanket. And, you know, we talk about improvement. We talk about his ceiling. Um, I think we see those numbers go up if he stays healthy because I think the Steelers, um, I think their locker room has been nothing but toxic, and I think they've they've tried to keep that kind of on the low. And uh, Coach Tomlinson, I think uh, he tries to, to, to hide – the problems that they have a lot. And James Conner, you know, I don't think he's part of that problem. I think James Conner is a guy that shows up and plays football. And, uh, you know, they were talking, I was watching an interview the other day um, on Kentucky football players, and they were talking about how Benny Snell, who was, of course, you know, UK's running back this past season, was drafted to the Steelers and how the defense, the scout defense or whatever, was calling him out and giving him a hard time. And I don't know, I, I just, I, I get a little bit of friendly competition, but I, I just think that maybe they they take it a little too far there, and, and I don't think the, the team uh, bonds as well as they should. But I think maybe they've got rid of some of that negative energy, and maybe that helps. And I think... You know, James Conner, I think his numbers improve, but he doesn't have a whole lot of room to improve. I mean, he was right up there as a top 10 running back this year. So I think as a fantasy owner, if he did what he did last year, I would be tickled to death to have him on my team. And if he stays healthy and is able to play a full season, staying with the consistent players like I like to do, I, I think his numbers go up on a on a consistent level based on the games that he's available to play. But, you know, he, he's right on target as an excellent running back right now. Uh, if, he, if he goes up, he goes up a little bit. I don't think he does anything crazy, though. I think that's a fair assessment of James Conner. This is a guy that right now is currently going in the early second round, and I think the argument can certainly be made in some leads, especially a PPR, half a point PPR, to draft him in that late first round, maybe even a little bit earlier than that. He finished as the RB7 last year in fantasy with that great 2018 campaign, and I think he's got a lot of top five potential. So if you want to reach for a James Conner, and you're not confident in, say, a David Johnson at the number five pick or a Le'Veon Bell at the number six, I feel like you can you know, definitely do worse than James Conner. So it's a, a safe pick if you want somebody to take a chance on, for sure. And I have to agree with you, Madge. You know, Pittsburgh, of all teams in the NFL, is someone that definitely could benefit from positivity. And I think one of those guys that could infuse some more positivity is probably everyone's fan favorite out of Pittsburgh last year, last year, arguably. And that's Juju on that beat, Juju Schmitz-Schuster. So let's, let's talk about this guy. 
Yeah, Juju is a... Uh... He's a cool guy. I mean, uh, I got the biggest kick out of just just the stories of him not having his driver's license and riding his bicycle <laughs> and getting it stolen and just I, I don't know. He just seems like a fun guy. He he and and every team you know lucks into those. It seems you know. It, like I said, you know the Packers with Jamal Williams. He was the guy that that brought that fun chemistry to the team. That that personality that you always like to see. Um, and I think Juju is just that for the team. He he's just that guy that you want to hate uh, if you're a Bengals fan, but you can't even hate him because he he goes out, he does his job, and plus he laid that sweet hit on Perfect that honestly made me a lifelong Juju Smith-Schuster fan, <laughs> and reasonably so. And you know, just to hit you guys with some stats here, he's one that's going off the boards consistently in the second round, and rightfully so. He is the guy now in Pittsburgh, sans Antonio Brown. Of course, keep in mind he's going to see some double coverage, and uh, forgive me for not knowing exactly the specific stat, but I was listening to a Yahoo podcast a while back earlier this season, and when it comes to that pressure coverage, Juju Schuster struggled a little bit last year, but I think he's certainly a talented kid that can make that jump this season. He reeled in 111 passes. Keep in mind, this is with Antonio Brown with the Steelers last season, all right? 111 passes, 1,400 yards, over 1,400 yards receiving, and seven touchdowns. So I feel like he has a chance to you know, put up these same numbers, if not more, especially in the touchdown rate department. So a lot to like about Juju Smith-Schuster in this 2019 season. Sure, sure. And, you know, backing him up, you know, in that WR2 spot, you got Dante Moncrief, who, you know, he, he was he was on some fantasy teams last year. Uh, not not a, a huge help. I would say, but I think with a veteran like Ben Roethlisberger tossing the football around, I think maybe he gets a little action, but I think Juju Smith-Schuster needs him to get some action because based on the numbers, you know, he didn't do well against that that double coverage. So they're going to have to spread the ball out a little bit so that Juju can, you know, find his find his seams and get open and, and make those big plays. But, again, I, I think Juju Smith-Schuster is is even a possibly, you know, depending on the draft trend, a late first round or a early second round potential receiver. So we'll just see how that goes. And Moncrief is a good guy to bring up because while he's not necessarily somebody that we would recommend you draft, you could get him in the couple last rounds there or so. But definitely somebody that you want to put – on your fantasy radar or flag him in your watch list this season because TJ's right. This is somebody that's going to have to get going early in order to take some pressure off of Juju Schmidt-Schuster, whether it's out of the slot or at wide receiver two there. So he could be a potential weekly flex guy depending upon how well or how often Roethlisberger is able to find him. And speaking of Big Ben, let's go ahead and talk about him as potentially being your fantasy quarterback. He's a serviceable fantasy quarterback about as serviceable as they come you can draft him alongside guys like cam newton and russell wilson they're in probably the sixth the seventh round if he falls to you in the eighth i say scoop him up that's a a quality value pick just keep in mind when you do so you know he has had some trouble with interceptions here late in his career and road games for whatever reason has been a bit of a problem there 
for him in Pittsburgh. But still, I think a guy that you can roll out week to week as your QB1 and, and feel safe and confident that he'll put up a solid you know, 20 points for you. He's got a good floor and a nice ceiling as well. Uh, absolutely. I, I think he's a, a great option at QB for fantasy. You know, like I said, I ran with him uh, for, for a while over the past couple of years. He's He's been somebody, you know, he's one of those quarterbacks that he's he's not hard to pick up, but he'll be pretty consistent for your team. But as you said, Blanket, you got to be cautious because he's had some games where he's just laid, laid a big egg. And like last season, I think it was last season when he went out and threw five interceptions in one game. Um, actually, uh, if, if I'm not misinterpreting the stats, I'm pretty sure he, even though he finished in top three uh, fantasy quarterbacks in standard scoring, out of all quarterbacks, all starting quarterbacks in the league, he's he's thrown the most interceptions last season uh, with 16. Uh, and that's that's not great, you know, uh, 16 interceptions to 34 touchdowns, uh, those are Brett Favre numbers. So, you know, I, I know all about a, a touchdown-interception ratio. And, you know, but beyond that, those those boomer bust games, they're, they're far and in between. So I, I still think Ben Roethlisberger, again, like you said, you know, pick him up in a late round. And I think he's kind of a set-it-and-forget-it quarterback. Uh, of course, his receiving course changed a little bit, but I don't think it changes all that much. I think he still is able to utilize what he has out there in, of course, Juju, Moncrief, and, and I'm sure James Conner gets involved in that passing game um, a little bit more this season. So I, I think he's a set-it-and-forget-it quarterback. Without a doubt. And to your point, though, of course, since 2015, he has had a little bit of trouble with interceptions. I'll just give you some more stats here. So 16 interceptions in 2015, 13 the next year, 14 after that, and as you mentioned, TJ, already, 16 last year as well. So just something to keep an eye on. And, you know, of course, if you think there's a, a better option, go for whatever that better option is in your mind. But again, you could do worse at the quarterback position. So Ben Roethlisberger will definitely win you weeks when it comes to fantasy. Sure, sure. So beyond that on this roster, um, let's go ahead and let's look at that tight end position. We know sure. uh, we spoke about Jesse James. They unloaded Jesse James uh, this this season. So Vance McDonald seems to be the guy. What do you think about Vance McDonald, Blank? Well, Vance McDonald has nothing but upside, and Gunther was picking between him and David Njoku in our mock draft, if you recall. And the reason that he picked McDonald over Njoku was on the basis that, you know, Brown is gone, Bell is gone. Those targets have got to go to somebody. Of course, a lot of them are going to go to Juju Schmidt-Schuster, but I feel like Vance McDonald has a chance to be essentially their wide receiver, too, at the tight end position. He's a big guy. He had the stiff arm heard round the lead, possibly even round the world oh, yeah. last year. So uh, there's nothing but upside, I think, for Vance McDonald. But I think you also have to accept that he could be a boomer bust tight end. He very well could be very touchdown dependent because I feel like a lot of those targets are going to go to Connor out of the backfield on quick dump routes or to try and stretch the field with Juju Smith, or even underneath to Moncrief. So there slowly starts to become some more malice to feed than you realize in Pittsburgh, but there's no reason why you shouldn't feel confident in taking Vance McDonald anywhere after the eighth round and being very happy about it, because here's somebody that could break into the top five at the tight end position, which we know 
historically has been tumultuous for some owners if you don't get that you know, Travis Kelsey or George Kittle. Absolutely. And, you know, when you, again, it's, you know, we talk about how deep the quarterback position is uh, and how shallow the tight end position is. But when you, once you get out of that, that top tier and you're in that from five, five on, you know, and he's, he's fell in that category. When you're drafting in that area, those top 15 or so tight ends, I think he's one that, you know, if you're forced to make a pick there and you didn't luck into one of those top tiers, I think he's one, uh, maybe him and Evan Ingram, I would give them the high ceiling in that area for a tight end to have that breakout uh, season because of the the extra targets that they're bound to get this season, and if they capitalize on those targets, you know it it could turn into some fantasy luck all season long. Right, and I think the tight end position in fantasy, especially, is much like the real estate industry in that you know with real estate, it's location, location, location. For tight ends, it's opportunity, 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 and Ingram and McDonald arguably are two of the ones that are going to have the most opportunity. I think I would rather have, if given the choice between the two, I'd probably rather have Ingram. But again, maybe not, because you're not really sure if Eli Manning's going to be throwing him the ball, Daniel Jones. So again, there's a lot to like about Vance McDonald. He has a trustable quarterback in Ben Roethlisberger, and I think he's somebody that you shouldn't be afraid to go for in your fantasy draft. Absolutely. I, I definitely agree with that. Again, you know, you don't get the the top tier, you know, your Travis Kelsey's, your George Kettles, Zach Ertz, Trey Burton. You know, once you drop off there, uh, some may put Kyle Rudolph up there. I think Vance McDonald is, is a toss-up uh, between all the others that you could get that has a high ceiling. So, you know, if you don't get the top tier, I think he's a great pick. And that'll, that'll swing us on into... Um, the next team, if I'm not mistaken, Blanket, we're going to move on to the Cincinnati Bengals. What can you tell me about the Bengals? You are right on the money, Madge, and that's going to get us into Cincinnati, or as I like to refer to it as, Cincinnati. And, I, you know, we're getting to that point here in this fantasy relevancy discussion for the AFC North that we kind of reached in the NFC North, where once you get to the Bears and the Lions, I mean, there's certainly some fantasy players out there. And I think, really, there's a lot of commonality here for both North divisions. There's certainly fantasy relevancy out there. You just have to look for it. And that holds true for Cincinnati. They're you know not immune to that by any means. Uh, it's a team that is hard to trust year in, year out in real football. But I think if there's any guy that you can draft with assured confidence, it's got to be Joe Mixon in that backfield. I think he's going to be their three down back. Giovanni Bernard, of course, is going to catch some passes there as well. But this is a guy that rushed for over 1,100 yards last year, had eight touchdowns on the ground, and managed to catch some passes himself with 55 targets, 43 receptions, almost 300 yards receiving, and a touchdown as well. So almost double-digit TDs last year. I think he is a reasonable RB1 pick there towards the beginning, middle, even end of that second round. And if you can get him in the third round, uh, that to me is a a high-value pick. Just again going going to our league, there, there's no way Joe Mixon lasts past the first round. There's, there's probably no, not. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no chance at all. Um, he'll go he'll go mid first round as he should. Uh, he's again one of the only players 
that you can draft in Cincinnati, maybe the only player you can draft in Cincinnati with any amount of confidence that he's going to be a help to your fantasy team. And, you know, he was drafted to be the guy. He had some off-field trouble. Again, We you can't let your moral compass get in the way of your fantasy team. Just you got to look at them as they're pawns in your game. Uh, like him or not, he's going to be a liable option as a fantasy player. He's a top 10 running back, so he's going to be somebody's RB1. And I think... His numbers stay fairly consistent. Granted, as always, you know, that he stays healthy. I think he's a top 10 running back this year as well. And he very well could put put together a top 10 campaign. I mean, you know, I feel like the Bengals are going to be a run-heavy team, especially with the loss the first half of the season there, reasonably for A.J. Green. Uh, It's just a shame to see somebody like that go down because he is a tried-and-true receiver and a solid, when he's healthy, a solid wide receiver one pickup. Although, even with A.J. Green missing some time this season, I don't think you should be afraid to draft him. I think a lot of people are going to fade on A.J. Green, but that could be your benefit to try and maybe have a savvy pick there in the later rounds, maybe 8 to 9, possibly even 10 and try and pick him up there for that second-half push to try and make the playoffs. Sure, sure. Um, But what I think it does, Blanket, is I think it increases the stock on Tyler Boyd. And, you know, we we have uh, AJ in our league who was absolutely crazy about Tyler Boyd last year, and I know that he's on AJ's radar. But, you know, in your opinion, with the loss of AJ Green, does that boost Tyler Boyd up into a, a potential WR1 for, for your fantasy team? What do you think on that? that? That's a solid question. I'm glad that you asked it because Boyd was the, the next guy on my list in terms of fantasy relevancy for Cincinnati, and I think he easily becomes the second most relevant player on that Bengals roster in terms of fantasy because, like you just mentioned, with A.J. Green out, there is a ton of opportunity for Boyd to take full advantage and become an a wide receiver one type. I don't think I'm ready. I don't think we have, we've had enough of a sample size to truly say, Oh yeah, he's a guy that given this opportunity can be a bona fide wide receiver one for sure. I think he's got wide receiver one weeks in him, but I think overall he's still a, what he becomes at this point is a great wide receiver two option. You know, he's got somebody with incredible speed that can really stretch the field for Andy Dalton there. He put up 1,000 yards last year, seven touchdowns, so the opportunities are going to be there from week to week. I just don't know how trustable Tyler Boyd will be, um, and I, I certainly wouldn't pick him as your you know, wide receiver one guy. I think if you want to take a risk on him there in the, say, third or fourth round as your wide receiver two after you've already gotten like a Hopkins or an Adams or somebody of that or Michael Thomas, uh, sure. Go ahead and give Boyd a shot. I feel like he's got nothing but upside at this point, an opportunity. I just don't feel confident saying that he's in that that tier one. That tier one is pretty, you know, upper echelon, <laughs> if you will. And and that's fair, blanket. But I got to go back to the guy I've been hating on this entire podcast. A lot of people in fantasy football right now will see the name Odell Beckham, and they will automatically see a WR one. But let me explain why I don't see it. Okay. Tyler Boyd finished just behind him in yards. Um, 
under under 30 yards. Uh, you know, that's all he had more than him. And Tyler Boyd had one more touchdown than Odell did. And Tyler Boyd wasn't the all-star go-to receiver for his team as Odell Beckham supposedly was. Tyler Boyd had an average quarterback at best and Andy Dalton throwing him the football, so we can't blame it on Eli. I, you know, again, this is I think this further proves my point that Odell Beckham's numbers are at best for me a WR2 if Tyler Boyd is a WR2. Um, I think this year Tyler Boyd with Green being out, I think if you if you're looking in that late round for your WR one, I run with Tyler Boyd. I, I think he's got nothing but upside. And you certainly can. I, and just for me, the only worry that I have is with Green being out, Boyd of course becomes the number one target by default in the wide receiving core there in Cincinnati. So I feel like most defenses are going to shade, shadow, or double him, and I'm not sure he's ready to handle that just yet. But uh, you know, we're we're hopeful for Boyd for sure. I think there's just a lot of nothing but potential and opportunity there for Tyler Boyd. Absolutely, and that's that's definitely a fair point. But look at last season; he played a lot of those games without Green, where he was the number one. Which, granted, people didn't know how good I guess or how a breakout of a receiver he could be, but. He played a lot of those games as the WR1 with Green being out. I, I don't know. I think the guy's got a ton of upside. I have to agree with AJ and, you know, uh, not to show my cards, but he, he would be, you know, depending on the draft trend, as I always say, you know, Tyler Boyd's on my radar for sure. Oh, I think he should be on everyone's radar because, again, this is somebody that's got lightning speed and can put up big points in a hurry. I just, for me... I worry that he could be more boom. I'm sorry, more bust than boom this season. But definitely somebody that you should be targeting, you know, in those middle rounds, or you know, if you want to reach for him, feel free to do so. Uh, but just be cautious with the Cincinnati offenses is all I would recommend. Hey, blanket. So guess who's not on my radar? If I had to guess, I would say that. Odell, Odell Beckham Jr. is probably as, as far away from your radar as possible. Like, if there was a, a radar in front of you, I feel like he would be on somebody else's radar in another county, maybe, or another state. Like, the feeling that I hear, or that I get when I hear Odell Beckham's name is probably similar to that in the feeling of Antonio Brown's feet right now. Oh, that's, that's, uh, that's cold, man. Numb. <laughs> see, see what I did there? I, I did, I did. I like that. <laughs> All right. And so speaking of cold, we're about to get into <laughs> an interesting point in our fantasy relevancy here with Baltimore. So, you know, this is not by any means a team that we think you should completely avoid for fantasy purposes. But on the same hand, it's not one that I'm going to be looking at myself. There's potential with Lamar Jackson. Uh, who who knows which Mark Ingram we're going to get. This is a guy that at times has been a very serviceable running back in the NFL. He's had some top fantasy finishes before. They're in the top 10 to 15, even behind a guy like Alvin Kamara. But I'm just not really sure what we can expect fantasy-wise from Baltimore just yet. Yeah, I agree with you, Blanket. You know, um, in terms of fantasy points, 
if Lamar Jackson plays the way that he did last season, um, I think I, I can't even say he's somebody that that you should run with. Uh, a streaming option, sure, sure, but I don't think he's a set it and forget it quarterback by any means because his play style. I've said it a million times. They just don't last long in the NFL. A scrambling quarterback is one hit away from their career ending. So with somebody like Lamar Jackson, and I like the guy, you know, played played his college football here at the University of Louisville. He played the exact same way at the University of Louisville, you know, and, and everyone knew that going into the NFL. He was a run-first quarterback. He was a very run-heavy quarterback, and his game and his success depended upon his legs allowing him to get down the field and make plays. And we've seen it throughout the past decade, the past two decades in the league, when these quarterbacks, these young quarterbacks that have had great success in college, running, scrambling, getting outside the pocket, trying to stretch the field, They've had success in college, and and the thing that I just feel like nobody accounts for is in college, on the other side of the ball, on the defensive side of the ball, you at best have six, seven guys that are going to be going to the NFL, three to four that are going to be playmakers in the NFL. Well, when he gets to the NFL level and starts scrambling on the other side of the ball, the defense side of the ball, there's 11 guys who are made to play in the NFL. It's a different game. You can't set him and forget him because there's, in my opinion, there's too much liability in him at quarterback. And and that that's what I would say. If you need to stream a guy, put a guy in against a, a defense who's struggled to contain whatever, yeah, great. Put him in there, get some points. But to run with him all season, I think it's too big of a liability. I, I would have a backup option. And for me, with Lamar Miller especially, I think he, he does make for a savvy streaming option as the season goes along because he's someone here in this sophomore season, Sands, Joe Flacco, now the team is his. I think that they are ready to fully hand the team over to Lamar. It'll be very interesting to see how he handles that, and who knows? He could be a surprise this year quarterback and fantasy and put up a, a top 15, maybe even a top 10 performance. That's a little bit of a stretch, just to be honest. Because, again, with mobile quarterbacks, it can be hit or miss. You've either got somebody that turns out like a Cam Newton or a Michael Vick, or you've got somebody that, again, is that one big hit away from having a career-ending injury. So... I'm not even going to say draft at your leisure with Lamar Jackson. I would say allow somebody else to take that risk in your draft, and then if he gets dropped later in the season, certainly put him on your radar for a stream. And like TJ said, if you've got that defense coming up in that matchup where they can't contain the run very well or they struggle against a mobile quarterback, then sure, go ahead and plug him into your lineup if you've got a bye week coming up. Uh, So there is fantasy potential for Lamar Jackson, but I think it remains to be seen. And that brings me into my next point. The wide receiving core, just looking at the Ravens depth chart here for fantasy purposes, I mean, you've got guys like Willie Sneed, Seth Roberts, former Raiders wideout. Sneed, of course, played some time there in the Saints, had some boom and bust games. Uh, Marquise Brown, to the best of my knowledge, is being pegged as a deep sleeper. 
for some drafters, which I don't think he'll necessarily go in many fantasy drafts, but will be on some people's radars or watch lists. One thing I would mention to everybody that's listening is to pay attention to who becomes Lamar Jackson's favorite target of those guys I just mentioned, Sneed, Robertson, Brown. One of them is bound to pop, and that's somebody that you can take a late-round flyer on. It'll cost you nothing. Probably the 14th, 15th, 16th round, you get, you know, round out that last bench spot with one of these guys or whomever his favorite target ends up being. Someone's got to catch the ball in Baltimore. Um, so certainly you can keep these guys on your radar, but obviously there's no need to reach for any of these Ravens wide receivers by any means necessary. For sure. You know, um, Lamar Jackson, as much as he would like to, he can't throw the ball to himself and catch it. Um, last season, when you look at receivers across the league and fantasy value, there wasn't a Ravens, uh, or no Ravens receivers, I, I don't think, finished in like the top 50 or something like that. They were not uh, valuable guys at all. Now, uh, somebody who finished just outside of the top 50 in wide receivers was Michael Crabtree. So maybe they uh, acquire him and bolster that receiving core. Um, but uh, I, I don't maybe think... I, I just don't think that there's a receiver that, um, unless you're a diehard fan, John King, and maybe know something no one else does, uh, I, I don't think there's a receiver that I would have on my radar uh, to, to throw into my starting lineup right now at all that, that's rostered by the Baltimore Ravens. And maybe, who knows, the Ravens could offer him $3 million straight up, and he'll, uh, he'll take that deal for Crabtree. Yeah, <laughs> he's got to he's got to buy some more uh, some more chains for Talib to steal. And so this brings us to the the backfield situation with Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards. Now Gus Edwards could be somebody that if Ingram goes down with an injury or at any point just winds up not being the guy there in Baltimore, Edwards could be a sneaky waiver wire hot commodity pickup that could turn into a weekly flex or even an RB two type guy again someone has to run the rock other than Lamar Jackson it can't be the Lamar Jackson show in Baltimore all the time defenses will find that out really quick so Edwards could be an upside guy to put on your fantasy radar as well but TJ how much do you trust Mark Ingram and would you even consider drafting him after the 10th round in fantasy uh, after the 10th round oh absolutely I, I think Mark Ingram comes off the board you know before that uh, in our league, uh, just because Mark Ingram is, is Mark Ingram. He's, he's had some great success, and based on what the, the Ravens are rostering right now, he's probably the best offensive player they've got, him and Lamar Jackson. So uh, I would say, you know, yeah, you know, he would be okay to run with for a little bit. I would, I would most certainly take your advice blanket though with with Gus Edwards, and I would handcuff him for sure. If he were on my on my fantasy team, I would be I would be trying to swoop up Gus Edwards in one of those late late rounds uh, as a just in case. Um, but you know, with the Ravens roster, you know, you've got Lamar Jackson at quarterback, and we've talked about the liability there. Backing him up, you've got Robert Griffin the third. That's nothing. Yeah, that that's nothing but a liability. It's even it's even more a liability than Lamar Jackson. So 
I don't know, you know, but but when it comes to Mark Ingram specifically, I think he's okay to take. Uh, I wouldn't take him super early. I don't think he's anybody's RB1 top pick or anything like that, but I think, you know, if you're coming into those uh, late to starting rounds, you know, maybe you're your fourth or fifth or maybe even sixth and and he's still rolling you take him and then in the late rounds you know you're you're 13 you're 14 you you handcuff him with Gus Edwards and and I think you you might have something something to work with there and those are all fair points I think that reasonably you should be looking at Ingram somewhere between rounds eight to ten and be able to pick him with that level of comfortability knowing that you've got either a solid bench guy with some upside or, you know, that flex that you can go with from week to week. This is a guy that has put up a 1,000 yards a few times in his career. And again, this is also somebody that has had top 15 fantasy success behind Alvin Kamara. So now that he becomes presumably the guy again in Baltimore, there is some upside to Mark Ingram. So don't shy away. And hopefully our discussion in this particular podcast has maybe swayed your decision to take a chance on Mark Ingram. Now, based on that fantasy value when we're talking about a team's roster, you know, we, we kind of coined the fantasy desert uh, in Detroit in our last episode. I don't think Baltimore Ravens' uh, roster is that bad, uh, especially being as they have one of the most desirable kickers for a fantasy team in Justin Tucker. What can you tell me about Mr. Tucker, Blanket? Uh, Justin Tucker is is one of my favorite kickers in the league because here's just a a quality guy to begin with. And then he's got somebody that arguably has the the best leg in the league. I mean, he's right up there with Greg Zerlin. He might even have, uh, to be honest, you know, come the end of the season there when they go, uh, actually, they don't go to Honolulu any further for the um, Pro Bowl. That's what I was trying to. It's in Orlando. In Orlando. Orlando. But I would love to see a kicking competition between those two just to see who can kick the farthest because these are just two guys that are powerhouses when it comes to kicking. And he's somebody that you can reasonably take there in the the 13th or 14th round, and you're going to get a solid return. You know, guys that you're taking after the 12th round are going to be lucky to break 100 to 130 fantasy points when you've got a kicker that's going to put up that many points who you don't have to worry about from an injury standpoint. I mean, to me, it's a, it's a no brainer. Lock him in as your kicker all season long and not have to worry about it. I mean, he's just a, a great fantasy asset. If you allow him to be on your team. Absolutely. And, and I like what you, you said there about the Probo having them, you know, go at it because currently both of their longest field goals made are 56 yards, Greg Zerlin and uh, Mr. Tucker himself, 56 yards. So, you know, their 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 boots are very similar. I'd love to see a, a competition where where they decided who who the true who the true leg was. You know, so right, and that might not be a high ticket selling item, but I think it would just be something. The Pro Bowl is already light and fun anyway, so I think it would just be neat. You know, give some love to the kickers. That's that, that's all I'm saying. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think that with Justin Tucker, you know, again, kickers aren't by any means high-value uh, fantasy fantasy players, but I think that when when you have to consider kickers, you know, Justin Tucker's in your top two uh, to top three picks, you know, and, and he's that kicker that 
like quarterbacks, you know, if you've got a Justin Tucker, you know, you're not worried about streaming so much. You can set and forget, and he's going to consistently put you up a few points there at the the kicker position every week. And keep in mind, too, you know, with the kicking position from a fantasy standpoint, when you've got a Zerlin or a Tucker-type kicker on your team, when they're making those 40-, 50-plus-yard field goals, that is additional points into the three that you're going to get when it goes through the net. So that can be beneficial as well. And, you know, speaking of Justin Tucker, the kicker, I think it's also a good time to bring up and finish our discussion here on the Ravens. Their defense is a unit that you can certainly trust when it comes to fantasy. They were a top five unit last year in 2018. So I I feel like the Ravens defense, we all know of their prowess over the years. They're somebody that you can safely roll with from week to week, and you won't have to spend, say, a Chicago Bears-esque draft pick on them. You can get them in the late, late rounds uh, right there after all those top-tier options are gone. For sure, Blanket. Um one of the things that that I would like to point out, though, is you know we we had this discussion when we talked about the Bears. Um, a lot of the Baltimore Ravens' defensive success has came to holding uh, opponents to low scores. That doesn't always equate to a great fantasy defense. Um, and and when I'm looking at numbers from last year, yeah, they were a top five fantasy defense. Uh, but they didn't have near the amount of turnovers as some of those other teams, your Rams, your Chiefs, Texans, Bears, that were all ahead of them. You know, they had more sacks. They had more turnovers. Um, But, again, year in and year out, a team that you can always depend on defensively is the Ravens. And I think that they are a defense, as you said, that you could probably set and forget. You wouldn't have to stream if you had the Ravens defense minus your bye week. Um, But maybe those stats with takeaways improve. Um, We'll we'll see. Hopefully they do, and hopefully the defense uh, becomes a, a great pick. Well, this brings our AFC North rundown and our podcast to a close. As a reminder, there are a ton of preseason games tonight, so be sure to tune in and pay attention to potential fantasy players you are considering. Also, keep an eye out for our next episode, where we will switch gears and conferences by breaking down the NFC South. So we'll be talking Saints, Falcons, Panthers, and Buccaneers. This has been another edition of AT3 Fantasy Cast. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 